Our New Testament reading this morning is from the Gospel according to John. We're continuing um, in John through, the, through Easter, and we're going to be in the 13th chapter this morning. Um, this is often thought of as Monday Thursday, the beginning of Monday Thursday, and while we in the Presbyterian Church don't like to touch each other, and so don't wash feet, um, in, in other traditions, this is equally as important as communion or baptism for their, for their, um, for their worship experience, so I invite you to listen to this story with that in mind. Before the festival of Passover, Jesus knew that his time had come to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them fully. Jesus and his disciples were sharing the evening meal. The devil had already provoked Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the table and took off his robes, picking up a linen towel. He tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a wash bin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he was wearing. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand, but you will understand later. No, Peter said, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't have a place with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, then, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus responded, those who have bathed need only to have their feet washed because they are already clean. You disciples are clean, but not every one of you. He knew who would betray him. And that's why he said, one of you is not clean. After he washed the disciples' feet, he put on his robes and returned to his place at the table. He said, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you speak correctly because I am. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too must watch, wash each other's feet. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, the human one has been glorified and God has been glorified in him. And if God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify the human one in himself and will glorify him immediately. Children, I am with you for a little longer. You will look for me, but just as I told the Jewish leaders, I also tell you now, where I am going, you can't come. I give you a new commandment. Love each other, just as I have loved you, so you must also love each other. This is how everyone know that you are my disciples. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So like I said, the next four weeks in worship, we're going to be looking at the last two days of Jesus' life. Thursday night, Thursday night and Friday morning-ish is what we're going to be covering the next four weeks. And that seems like it's not enough material for four weeks. Except for the fact that John's gospel, what he did is he divided Jesus' life in half. So he messes with time a little bit. John doesn't care so much about being historical. He messes with time a little bit, and he makes Jesus' last week last about three years. Okay? <laughs> so the last 13 chapters or so of John are uh, the last week of Jesus' life. It's what we call the farewell discourse. And so everything that Jesus does in the last week is all about getting ready to say goodbye. And this is how Jesus opens up his last week with the disciples. He kneels down, and he washes their feet. Now, as Rebecca said, this was, not something, this was not something that they did. This was a tradition that went back to Abraham. 
As long as they had lived in Israel, people did not wash each other's feet. You didn't do it. Servants would do it if you were lucky enough to have it, but not a male servant. Only female servants would wash your feet. And so Jesus wasn't just upturning this idea of male servant, servant thing. He was upturning the whole thing. This was not done. You didn't do it. And he did it to show a very important point. I love you, and I'm going to serve you. Now, Jesus, there's arguments about how much Jesus knew about what was about to happen. And now, it depends on which gospel you're reading, how much they think Jesus knew, and it depends on which scholar you're reading about how much they think Jesus knew. We don't know how much Jesus knows. Does Jesus actually know exactly what's about to happen, minute by minute, day by day? I don't know. But he knows someone's about to betray him. He knows somebody is about to betray him. Somebody at that table, somebody whose feet he washes, is about to betray him. And not just one somebody, but the whole table. Everybody in that room betrays Jesus at some point in the next several days. And what Jesus chooses to do is to wash their feet. Now, Judas is the villain that we don't like to talk about. He's the Bible villain that we're not so fond of. We talk about Pharaoh. We like to talk about Pharaoh. Pharaoh is mean. We have songs about Pharaoh being mean, right? And we have Bible studies about Pharaoh being mean, and we have vacation Bible schools about Pharaoh being mean. We're down with Pharaoh. We also know that you know, the Old Testament kings were not very nice, and we know Babylon is a bad guy. We like to talk about that stuff. We don't talk about Judas, much like Bruno. Yeah. We don't talk about Judas. And I wonder if that's not because Judas is the one who's the most like us. None of us are a pharaoh, last I checked, right? None of us are like wearing the cool Egyptian headdress, though I will take one if you have one, right? None of us are going to be pharaoh. None of us are going to be king of Babylon. None of us are going to be King Herod. None of us are going to be one of those people who have the power over a nation. But all of us are Judas. Judas is just a guy. He's just a guy in the group who gets a little bit disillusioned with the group. Remember Judas's main complaint in the Gospels? It's not, that he didn't, it's not that he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and it's not that he didn't believe in the mission of the group, and it's not that he didn't think his organization was worth it. His complaint was that Jesus was making bad decisions about the budget. Judas is the church treasurer. And he betrays Jesus not because he's evil, not because the devil made him do it, Judas betrays Jesus because he becomes disillusioned with Jesus' leadership. And it makes him easy, an easy target. An easy, soft target for temptation. Doesn't take much, really. And a church treasurer, John's not here so I can tell you this, knows everything that there is to know about you. Right? <laughs> Right? It's the one person that we trust, absolutely, because they handle the money. 
And they're also the ones who are the most likely to be tempted, which is why we have pages of pages of rules about who touches the money, right? So easy for Judas to be tempted, just like it's so easy for us to be tempted. Okay, so maybe you're not a treasurer, and maybe you don't ever touch the money. And so you're, you feel like you're safe. I'm not going to be tempted. Nobody's going to tempt me. I'm fine. Well, what about Peter? We're going to hear about Peter's betrayal of Jesus next week. That's our story next week. But Peter betrays Jesus not because he's disillusioned or not because he's tempted or not because of any of that. Peter betrays Jesus because he cares too much. Too much. Wash my feet, Jesus. Okay, that's not enough for Peter. Wash my knees. Wash my hands. Wash my face. Anoint me with oil, Jesus. Whatever you do is not enough. And so Jesus is betrayed by Peter's lack and ability to accept Jesus for who he was. Okay, so maybe you're not into church that much, and I get that. That's fine. Maybe, you're betrayed, maybe you betray Jesus like John and James, who believe Jesus' death is the final act. Jesus has been telling John and James for years for weeks and years, where I'm going, you can't go, but I promise I will come back. I promise I'm going to be resurrected. I promise my death is not the end. 13 chapters of John with Jesus saying, this is not the end of the story, and John and James don't believe him. Maybe we betray Jesus like that. I don't know what it is. I don't know which of those things you find yourself being tempted by. I don't know which of those things that you find yourself struggling with on a daily basis. I know which one is my problem. And all of us betray Jesus and one another in different ways, in different kinds of places and being and doing different things and different attitudes. And Jesus does the same thing for us that he did for them. Jesus washes our feet. He says, let me help get a little dirt off so that you can come inside and be one of the family. Not everything, not your head, not your hands, not your heart, your feet, so that you can come inside. It's almost an act of forgiveness before they do anything that's worth forgiving. Jesus says, I know you're going to betray me. I know what's about to come. I don't know exactly what you're going to do. I don't know exactly what the plan is. I don't know what version your betrayal is going to take. But I'm going to wash your feet because I forgive you before you've done anything wrong. I wonder if we're capable of that kind of forgiveness. Because what Jesus is really doing is saying, not that it's okay. Not that what you've done is okay. Not that betraying me for 30 pieces of silver is okay. What Jesus is saying is that I understand what you're about to do and I'm not going to let that change what I have to do or who I am. I'm going to love you no matter what. I know you're going to betray me, but I love you and I'm going to wash your feet. It's an act of forgiveness. It's an act of letting go of that control that those other people have over his next steps. I wonder if we're able to forgive like that. 
It's not about the other person. It's not about Judas. It's not about Peter. It's not about Jan, John or James. It's not about any of the people at the table. It's about Jesus letting go of their control over him. I have a friend whose um, grandmother was one of those grandmothers who was not very nice. Not like any of our grandmothers who were all perfectly lovely, I'm sure, and baked apple pie and things. But, you know, one of those grandmothers who you were never quite good enough for. Who you spend the whole day washing your face and she still notices the one speck of dirt on your head. Do you know that grandmother? And so my friend never calls or visits her, ever. She sends a Christmas card, but she says that's really hard. Because she had years and years of just this emotional, psychological whatever from this grandmother. And one day she read this book about forgiveness, about anxiety and worry and, and how it's rooted in, in her forgiveness. And I don't remember the book. And she said she realized that her grandmother didn't know that she was mad at her. No idea, right? No idea. Her grandmother didn't know why she stopped calling. Her grandmother says no why she doesn't visit. She just knows she doesn't visit, and so it's guilt on that side. Guilt, guilt, guilt from grandma, and anger, anger, anger on the other side. And my friend realized that her grandmother was never going to change. She was 90-something years old. It wasn't reasonable for her to expect her to change. And so what she did was change how she interacted. She realized that, really, her grandmother didn't have any power over her life anymore. Not the day-to-day -day stuff. Not, you know, like what kind of groceries she bought at the grocery store, unless she gave her that power. She lived miles away in another state. She didn't know that much about her life, so she couldn't really comment on it. And if she did, who cared, right? What difference was it going to make? And she realized when she did that, what she really was doing was forgiving her grandmother for being her, for not being able to love her in the way that she needed her to be loved. And it was never going to change her grandmother, and her grandmother wasn't going to learn how to love her magically at 93 years old, right? But she could change how she interacted with her. And so she went up one time. She just took a dare. She took, went up and she went to her house and she said, she remembered, kept reminding herself, she has no control over how my life lives. She doesn't have that kind of power over me anymore. And everything changed. And I'm not going to say her grandmother became a nice person all of a sudden and stopped picking at her and stopped criticizing her and all of those things. But she changed in how she related to her grandmother. She realized what she really felt for her, after all, was pity. She felt sad that she couldn't have this happiness in her life. She couldn't share love in the way that she needed to share it. And as soon as she did that, it changed. And it was an act of forgiveness. And she was able to serve her grandmother. She was able to be a person who loved her grandmother. So I invite you to consider what it is in your life that is, has that kind of power over you. Maybe it's a person. It could be a person. Maybe it's an idea about yourself that you can't let go. Maybe the person you need to forgive is you. Maybe it's a situation like, you know, when you wake up 3 in the morning and you remember that situation from high school. <laughs> 
and I invite you to wash it out. Wash your feet. Get the dust off. And forgive. Let it go. Let it go with the water into the drain. And love one another as God loved you. Amen.